0: If you have your Bibles or your phones or your iPads, open them up to Matthew the 12th chapter please verses 30 to 32 for our scripture reading this morning. Matthew 12 verses 30 through 32 These are the words of Jesus Matthew 12 He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy, blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. God's Word.
1: Hey, Pastor Mark, before you go anywhere, I'm going to invite you to come back up here, if you'd be so kind. And um, I'm going to invite uh, David and Angie to come on down. Or do or you want us to stand right there? Okay, you can just stand right there. See, I was going to have him come down here and do special music. Oh, okay. No? No? Okay. Just Okay, we won't do that. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you doing today? Doing good? That's quite a powerful text that you read there, Pastor Mark, you know, about, uh, about forgiveness and, and the unpardonable sin and, and all that good stuff. Hey, just a quick reminder, Pastor Mark had shared it, but tonight at 630, we're going to have a get, get to know each other. We're going to have some food and some games, and I've got a game I'm going to introduce you guys to tonight, and it's a lot of fun, but it takes more than like two people. We need a good crowd to play this game because we're going to divide into two teams, and you're going to like it, and once you learn how to play it, anytime you go to like a Christmas party or a a, a family party when there's a lot of people there and a reunion, you're going to say, hey, I've got this game I want to introduce you to, and so... Uh, We're going to be learning this new game later on tonight, but this coming week, Tuesday and Wednesday, we've got some home groups. A number of you came out to the home groups, and we were thrilled to have you. Just a reminder, we're going to keep on meeting, same place, same time, this coming Tuesday, this coming Wednesday, and then next Friday night, our topic is going to be the best is yet to come. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 20 and Revelation chapter 21 and talk about the new Jerusalem and what the Bible says about heaven. We're going to learn all kinds of cool things. The Bible talks about what type of bodies we're going to have. It talks about where we're going to live, what we're going to do, what we're going to eat. I mean, all kinds of great things are described, not just in Revelation 21, but in Isaiah and other uh, prophecies in the Bible. Have A lot of cool things to say about eternity. And the next Sabbath morning, right here, I'm actually going to be teaching a class at 930 called How to Enjoy the Sabbath Day. One of the things we learned in this seminar is the Sabbath, being on Saturday, in fact Friday sundown to Saturday sundown according to the Bible, and the Bible says don't do any work on this day. Well, what does this mean? I mean, does this mean we sit in a chair and stare at the wall all day because we're afraid to, you know, break the Sabbath and sin against God? Well, obviously not. What is the Sabbath day all about? Is a Sabbath day, a day where we look at the clock and think, four more hours until sundown, two more hours until sundown. What are you all laughing for? you never done that before, have you? And so what I've discovered is the devil, the enemy, wants to steal the blessing away. And I've met some Christians when it comes to the Sabbath, it's all about, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, can't, 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 and it just becomes a, a day of can'ts, you know what I mean? when what we discover is there is a blessing it is a gift of time given by Jesus himself so what i've discovered is if we focus on all the things the bible says we can and should do the sabbath really becomes a delight and so we're going to be talking about that next saturday morning at 9:30 but our topic this this morning is the unpardonable sin that one sin god said he cannot forgive can forgive anything else except for blasphemy against the holy ghost but before we start let me have a quick word of prayer father in heaven we pray for your blessing upon us here this morning as we open your word lord we want to discover what is this sin but even more importantly how can we make sure that we don't commit it we want to be in heaven we want to be ready when jesus comes back so father prepare our hearts help us lord to develop a character like Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I heard the story of a young preacher that was going around doing visits. And uh, he had just taken on a new church, and he was visiting the members, trying to get to know them. And it was the afternoon, and he was busy, and he went to visit this elderly lady who lived by herself. And as soon as he knocked on the door, he felt his stomach begin to grumble. And he realized, man, I had forgotten to eat lunch. But he had already knocked on the door, and the lady had opened the door, and man, this guy was hungry. So he comes into her house, and they're sitting there on the couch. She's on her chair, and and they begin to talk. And he quickly realized, this lady liked to talk. Have you ever met somebody like that? They just like to talk. And she was talking. She wasn't even paying attention to what this guy was doing. and, And man, his stomach was grumbling, and all he could do was think about food. Well, he noticed on her coffee table, there was a bowl of peanuts on her coffee table. And she was just talking away, not paying attention. He begins to eat these peanuts. And before too long, he had eaten every peanut in that jar. And he said, lady, I am so sorry. I've eaten all your peanuts. I was hungry and I missed lunch. Can you ever forgive me? And she said, actually, I should be asking you to forgive me. He said, what do you mean? She said, I was talking so much, I didn't realize that you had eaten those peanuts. And by the way, I can't eat peanuts. She said, all I can do is suck the chocolate off the outside. (laughs) Have you not heard that one before? And so it was a little bit of forgiveness, you know, going kind of back and forth. But is eating somebody's peanuts the sin that God cannot forgive? You know, sucking the chocolate off the of peanuts and putting them in the jar for a young preacher to enjoy. So what is that one sin that God cannot forgive? You know, I've met people who have committed some terrible sins, even worse than the whole peanut situation there. I mean, I met a woman once. I was doing a Bible seminar, and she came to me, and she poured her heart out to myself and the local pastor. And these stories I share with you aren't anywhere here in Squim. In fact, they're not even in the Washington Conference, for that matter, But a lady came to the pastor and I, and she began to pour her heart out to us, and she described how when she was 20 years old, she was in college, she had a boyfriend, she got pregnant, she was embarrassed, she didn't know what to do, she was scared, she couldn't tell her family, so she went to Planned Parenthood and got rid of the child. And she said, her heart was absolutely broken, and she said, I just do not think God can forgive me for what I did. But you know, we quickly shared the story of David with her. We shared the story of Moses with her, how the Bible says that these two men of great faith committed murder, and yet God forgave them. I met a woman once who had an affair on her husband, cheated on her husband. Her husband found out. It absolutely not only destroyed their family, it it, it, it raked chaos in the local church, and she just said, I do not believe God could ever forgive me for what I've done. And we shared with her the story of Mary Magdalene. You know, the Bible says that she was a prostitute saved by grace. And we shared with her how, you know, the first person Jesus appears to at the tomb was this woman saved by grace. I met another man who had said he was so angry at God at one point that he actually shook his fist at heaven and he cursed God out. He dropped the F-bomb. He was so angry at God and he thought he had committed the unpardonable sin. But well, we quickly shared with him the story of Peter, how the Bible says that, Je- or that Peter denied Jesus with cursing and swearing, and how after Jesus rose from the tomb, he tells the women there, go tell the disciples and Peter. The fact that Jesus specifically mentions Peter, he was saying, Peter, you haven't gone too far yet. I still have a plan for you. And this man was overjoyed to find out that you know swearing at God is not the unpardonable sin. So, if murder and adultery and cursing God out is not the unpardonable sin, then what is that one sin that Jesus says he cannot forgive? If you have your Bible, let's go back to the scripture reading that Pastor Mark read just a few moments ago. Let's go in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, because what we see happening here in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 30, is we see Jesus is drawing a, he, he draws a line in the sand. And he basically says, you're either with me or you're against me. There's no neutral territory. There's no gray area. There's no sitting on the fence. You're either with me or you're against me. And Jesus says here in Matthew 12 and verse 30, he that is not with me is what? Is against me. You know, one of the most dangerous places to be, and I was here at one time, maybe you've been here, maybe you're here right now the most dangerous place for anybody to be is to have one foot in church and one foot in the world. Did you know that? In fact, it's a lot safer to actually be fully in the world than it is to have one foot in church and one foot in the world because having one foot in the church and one foot in the world, it gives us a sense of salvation, but it's a false sense. You read about the... um, the, uh, the Laodicean church, Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will what? Spew you out of my mouth. And there was a time in my life I had one foot in the church, and I wasn't happy there. I had one foot in the world, and guess what? One happy there either. Jesus says, you're either with me or you're against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Holy I'm sorry against the Son of man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the what or the who, the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So if committing this sin is not murder or 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 adultery or cursing God to his face, then what on earth is this one sin? Now, the first thing we must establish is the unpardonable sin or blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, it is not a type of sin. It's not a what, everybody? It's not a type of sin, but rather it is a process of sin that generally takes place over one's lifetime. In other words, what it is, it is, it is the continual rejection of God's Spirit it's where we tighten the muscles of our heart, where the Holy Spirit, though He wants to speak to us, we don't hear it anymore because we've plugged our ears and we've closed off our heart. When I was a kid, I remember sitting in church with my mom, and you know, sometimes the preacher would go a very long time. Aren't you glad you didn't know any preachers like that here today? And I would sometimes get bored being a little kid, and my, my legs weren't long enough to, like, be planted on the ground, so as I sat back in the pew, my legs just kind of dangled. And I would get bored, and before too long, I would start swinging my leg like this, and before I knew it, I was kicking the pew in front of me. And my mom didn't want to make a scene, so what she would do is she would quietly reach over, and you know that sweet meat on the back of your arm right here? You know, you know what I'm talking about? She would give it a little pinch, a little pinch. I'd go like this, and she'd go, quick, kick in the pew. All right. Well, after a few more minutes, the preacher was long-winded, and and, and he would keep on preaching, and I forgot about that, and pretty soon my leg would start going like this once more. But now I knew what my mom was going to do, and she would try to reach out to pinch my arm, but I would tighten the muscle on the back of my arm, and she could not pinch it. And I've often wondered, is there a chance that we today could be tightening that muscle of our heart where the Holy Spirit is trying to pinch us? He's trying to get our attention, but we have said no, 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 and we've tightened that muscle to the point where we can't feel it anymore. And this is one of the most dangerous places to be. Now, to really understand what this sin is all about, we need to understand what are the jobs of the Holy Spirit. Why did God send His Spirit to us? Now, there's a number of reasons why, but we find in the Gospel of John there are two primary reasons why we have God's Spirit. The first one is in John 16, 13. The Bible says, How be it, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into what? All truth. So one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into all truth. And the reason is, is because when we accept truth, the Bible says thy word is truth. When we accept truth, we accept the word. And when we accept the word, John chapter 1 says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we accept truth, which means we accept the word, and ultimately we accept Jesus Christ. But what happens, friends, is when we reject the truth of God's word, we're not just rejecting you know, something that was printed on, on paper here. No, when we reject the truth of God's word, we are rejecting the word itself, which means ultimately we are rejecting Jesus. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Understand it this way. Let me explain it this way. The same Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible writers to write what they wrote now convicts my heart to believe and follow what the Bible writers wrote down. You see, the Holy Spirit inspired Peter, inspired Paul, inspired all of the Bible writers to write what they wrote down, inspired them. And so when I read what God's Word has to say, and I reject a clear teaching of the Word, I'm not just rejecting the Word, but I'm also rejecting the Holy Spirit that wants me to believe and follow what was written. For example, I read in God's Word. And I discover, and we talked about this in the seminar, I discover that the Bible does not teach purgatory. There is no such thing as purgatory that is an invention of man. And it's a dangerous invention. There's no purgatory. The Bible doesn't talk about it. There's no such thing as the immortal soul. I know it's been in songs and poems and sermons have been written on the immortal soul. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that God and God alone is immortal. We are mortal. And so if I read the Bible and it says there's no purgatory, there's no immortal soul, the Bible teaches when a person dies, they sleep. I read that and I reject what that says because of my traditional background or maybe because I was raised to believe something different. I read in the Bible how Ecclesiastes says, the living know that they shall die, but the dead know nothing. And I reject what Solomon wrote. I'm not just rejecting that but I'm also rejecting the Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible writers to write what they wrote. Does that make sense? Yes or no? So the very first place that many people begin to commit the unpardonable sin is by simply rejecting what the Word of God has to say. Because the Word of God was written by man, inspired by the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, will guide us into all truth. So this is the first place that many people begin to commit the unpardonable sin. Now, I've got good news for you here this morning. The very fact you're here today means you have not committed the unpardonable sin, because if you'd committed it, I very highly doubt you'd be here today. But we want to understand this because we want to make sure that we do not set ourselves up to commit this sin. Because again, the unpardonable sin is not a type of sin, but it is a process that takes place over one's lifetime. It's the continual rejection of God's Spirit as He leads us into truth. And, of course, a few other things which we're going to touch on here this morning. So one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit leads us into truth. Now, there are some folks who will say, Well, you know, Tyler, I've heard that this is true, and I've heard that this is wrong. and, and, And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to pray about it. I heard what you had to say during the seminar, but I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to wait on the Holy Ghost. Friends, let me tell you something. If we can clearly see what God's Word has to say, we do not have to wait on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's waiting on us. Amen? Instead, we need to make an intelligent decision. What kind of decision? An intelligent decision, and we move by faith based on, on the promises of god's word now there's others who say well i'm not going to make a decision to do this or to do that unless i feel convicted notice how jesus responds to this idea jesus tells us in luke 16 31 he says if they hear not moses and the prophets neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead now when jesus says Unless they hear Moses and the prophets. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, that idea of Moses and the prophets, this was just an old way of saying the scriptures, the law and the prophets, the word of God. What Jesus is telling us here, friends, when he says if they hear not Moses and the prophets, though they would be persuaded if one rose from the dead, Jesus is telling us that the scriptures are enough. The Bible is enough evidence to show us what it is we ought to do and what we ought to do. In other words, whether we have that conviction or not, we make an intelligent decision and we act based upon God's Word. Because even if we don't feel a certain way, but we see what the Bible has to say, what I've discovered is when we move forward and we follow God's Word, our feelings will always follow and catch up to us. Did you know that? I've met people who feel, you know, they, they, they see what God's word has to say, but they don't have that conviction yet, but they see what the Bible has to say, and I say, follow the Bible, because your feelings will catch up with you. Now, if you've got a feeling that harmonizes with the Bible, praise the Lord, but whether I feel that way or not, I want to make an intelligent decision based upon the Bible. Amen? That's what we have to do. Now, I heard the story once. In fact, a friend of mine told me the story how he was doing a seminar on the Bible, very similar to this one. And he had a gentleman coming to his Bible, and, and the gentleman was under great conviction regarding God's Sabbath day. He heard about the Sabbath, it was brand new to him. He could see it in the Bible, it made sense to him, but he was unsure. And the reason he was unsure is he kept thinking to himself, well, how is it that if this is true, Everybody else out there in the world doesn't seem to know about it, or at least very few people seem to know about it. And so the man told the preacher, who was my buddy, the man said, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home tonight after the seminar, and I've got this big balcony, and I'm going to walk out on my balcony, and I'm going to stand there, and I'm going to look up at the sky, and I'm going to say, Lord, if you want me to keep the Sabbath day, then I want you to show me a shooting star. Let me tell you something, friends. That is a foolish prayer. That is a foolish, foolish prayer. Because when we've seen God say something so clearly in his word, we don't have to pray for shooting stars. Amen? Think about it this way. What if that man were to stand out on his balcony and say, Lord, if you want me to keep the seventh commandment and be faithful to my spouse, show me a shooting star. Would you all agree that's a foolish prayer? Yes or no? See, when God says something in his word, we don't have to pray, Lord, do you really want me to do this? No, instead we have to pray, Lord, I see what your Bible says. Now convict me and give me the strength and courage to do your will. Amen? In fact, there are times that we may have to pray and say, God, change my heart. I'm stubborn. Change my heart. I've got pride. Change my heart because I want to do your will. Change my heart, oh God. Isn't that a wonderful prayer, yes or no? That's what we need, friends. The issue is with the heart. Now, there are some folks who just say, well, you know, I don't think truth is all that important. They got their truth, and they got their truth, and, and, and truth just isn't all. All that matters is that we just love Jesus. That's what really matters. Well, notice what Paul says. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, in them that perish. Why do they perish? He says, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see, it's possible to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. But friends, there are some folks that when they're led to truth, they just don't love it enough to do something about it. And here's the issue with truth. Truth is not based on a Gallup poll. Truth is not based on a politically correct society. In fact, truth is truth whether we believe it or accept it as truth. Truth is truth before we knew it was truth, and truth will never change. Amen? Thy word is truth. God's word does not change. So whether we choose to believe it or not is not going to change the fact that truth is truth. And it's not subject to your opinion or my opinion. Truth is based upon what God's Word says. Amen? And this, beloved, is what God wants us to follow. Now, there are some folks who have been, you know, wanting to find out God's will for their life. And they've got open and they've got sincere hearts. And when this takes place, God gives these individuals more light and more truth from his word. In fact, the Bible says in John 12, 25, then Jesus saith unto them, yet a little while is the light with you, walk while you have the what? Light. In other words, what Jesus is saying is when light is given to you, the best time to follow it is when? Right away, right? When the heart's still soft, when the Spirit of God is still speaking, Don't do what I did and tighten that muscle. But when you feel God's Spirit speaking to you, walk while you have the light. And here's why Jesus says, Lest darkness come upon you, for he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. If you have felt in this seminar the last few weeks that God's Word has shown light in your path, in fact, a number of folks, I'm not going to point you out here, but we've had a number of people tell us. That they were praying, they were searching, and they believed that when they came to this church or this seminar, that it was God leading in their life. Amen? You see, God knows our hearts, and when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Amen? God knows our hearts. When we want to know more from His Word, God gives us more. But I'll tell you, friends, as soon as we put on the brakes and say, whoa, 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 that's too much, you know? I've heard about this health message and man, I don't know if I can do it. I mean, I love my camel burgers, right? And my skunk sandwiches. I just can't give those things up, see? When I realized how much Jesus was willing to sacrifice on my behalf, when I realized that Jesus was willing to leave leave heaven, the place where he had known for eternity, and to come down here, I mean, I imagine when the angels first heard about this plan of salvation, that Jesus would come down here, it must have blown their minds. Wait, what did you say? You are going to go down there and live like one of the... I mean, that would be like us deciding to become an ant. I mean, worse than that. That you're going to go down there and allow them to do what to you? When I realized how much Jesus was willing to sacrifice for me, I say to myself, man, there isn't enough that I can give back to say thank you. But I want to give him my heart. Because once Jesus has our hearts, guess what he owns? Everything. You see, some people make it hard. They think, man, to be a Christian, i got to give Jesus my refrigerator. There are certain foods I can't eat. And man, to be a Christian, there's certain music I probably shouldn't listen to. Or or maybe there's certain movies I shouldn't watch. And oh, i got to go to church on Saturday. And oh, i got to do. They're focusing on all these externals. God saying, hey, hey, don't worry about that. Just give me your heart because once Jesus has our heart, everything falls into place. Amen? And we don't think about those things that way. Instead, we think how I delight to do thy will. Thy law is within my what? Heart. It brings delight. Happy is he that keepeth the law. And so the first way people commit the unpardonable sin is by simply rejecting truth, which the Holy Spirit inspired into god's word now the second way is found in john 16 verse 8 the bible says and when he has come he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment you know another job of the holy spirit is the holy spirit convicts us of sin did you know that have you ever felt convicted before in your life nobody's ever felt convicted or you just how many think the person next to you has felt convicted before Boy, I got a lot more smiles and and head nods on that one. We've all felt convicted. You know, conviction is actually a really good thing. Did you know that? There's a book that was written a number of years ago called The Gift of Pain. In fact, I had this conversation with my my six-year-old son just recently uh, because I forget what he did, but he did something where where he hurt himself, and we were talking about pain, and he said, Dad, I wish I could never feel anything. I wish I had no pain at all. And I had to explain to him that actually pain's actually a gift. We don't always think of it that way, but pain is what actually allows us to not grab the wrong end of the hot iron. You know what I'm talking about? It's what lets us know when we grab that hot spatula or that hot pan that, hey, wait a minute, let go because you're going to really hurt yourself. And so it's a real gift. And even the conviction of God's Spirit is a gift. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, will show us where we are doing wrong. I had a couple one time, when I was working down in a church in Northern California. I was working down there for a couple of years at this church. And we had a couple coming to a Bible seminar. Now, this was a young couple. And they'd actually grown up in the Christian church. They were engaged. They were planning on getting married. They were doing marriage counseling with the local pastor there. And then one night, they were staying up late watching, I don't know, reruns of I Love Lucy or something or MASH. But they were up late watching TV on the couch. And they started kissing and they started hugging. And and one thing led to another. And about a week later, when they were doing their marriage counseling with the pastor, they both broke down and they began to cry. And they shared with the pastor what happened that night and how they had been wanting to to wait to experience that gift when they were married on their honeymoon night, not on a sofa with reruns of MASH playing in the background. They were convicted. Tears were coming down their cheeks. All the conviction was strong. The pastor prayed with them. He said, look, this isn't right, but you know what? We can't undo the past, but God can forgive us. We can put certain safeguards in place to make sure this doesn't happen again. And they prayed, and they said, all right, we're going to do this. We're going we're to we're hold off. We're going to protect ourselves. Well, a couple of weeks later, not as if the pastor was like prying or trying to figure out, you know, they had counseling. They came back a couple of weeks later. The pastor says, so how have the last couple of weeks gone? And just by asking that simple question, their heads both sank. There was a little bit of tears, but not quite as much as the first time they had shared this information. Again, the pastor said, hey, look, you know, you, you, you can still make changes. And they prayed, and they put in more safeguards. And a couple, of we, a couple of weeks went by. And again, they were at that weekly marriage counseling session with the pastor. pastor said, okay, how are things going? This time they put their head down, but there weren't any tears. Do you see what's happening here? There weren't any tears. Fast forward six months, they quit going to church, canceled the wedding, and now they're living together and they're not married. You see what happens, it's these little baby steps of compromise where there's times when we really feel God's Spirit convicting our hearts and man, there's tears, there's remorse. We feel that conviction in such a powerful way. We say, we're never going to do this again. What happens, though, is when we give in the second time, there's still that level of conviction, but it's not as powerful as the first time. And then the third, the fourth, the fifth, we get to that point where we're doing what we used to do that used to bring tears and shame to our hearts, but now we do it and we don't even bat an eye. See, what happens here is the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, but we keep saying no, no, no to the point where we have convinced ourselves and we've hardened our hearts to the convicting power of God's spirit. Now there's some folks who will come to a Bible seminar like we had and they'll hear about some of these things. They'll hear about the Sabbath or they'll hear about the health message or salvation by grace or the importance of God's law or the or the second coming. And they'll hear all these great things and they'll come and visit with myself and let's say the local pastor I'm working with and they'll say, you know, I really appreciate what you all shared, but my church does something different. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that phrase. My church does something different. My pastor believes differently than you. Now, first of all, I don't want anybody making me the authority Nor if I could speak for Pastor Mark, we don't want to be the authority, right? God's Word is the authority. But what happens is people will make their pastor, their priest, their rabbi, whatever he or she says, that is the final word. But wait a minute, what does God's Word have to say? Hey, don't worry about that. My pastor says, or my church teaches, when we begin to check our brain at the door, and we ignore God's Word, and we simply say, my pastor, my preacher, my priest says, what we're doing is we're falling into what is called the cult mentality. Did you know that? Those who follow cult leaders and get wrapped up into a cult, what they do is they lay aside God's word and they simply believe what somebody has to say, even if that person says something that goes against God's word. Remember Jim Jones down in Guyana? When they went down there and and found the dead bodies, one of the things they discovered is they found copies of the Bible. But where they found copies of the Bible is very interesting. They found copies of the Bible in the bathrooms because they were using the pages of the Bible to clean themselves. That's how far away these people had gotten from God to the point where they would actually force their own children to drink poison and kill them. You see, cult mentality i'm not saying none of us are going to get that far i hope not the point i'm making is when we simply take somebody's word and they may be sincere they may be genuine but beloved we must always go by the bible amen the bible has to be the final authority in all matters now if you have your bible in fact let's go there real quick let's go to matthew chapter 7 Matthew chapter 7, now some people wonder, but wait a minute, if this is so popular, what you've been preaching, if it's truth, why isn't every church meeting on Saturday? If this is so true, why doesn't everybody teach and believe the same thing? Notice what Jesus tells us here in Matthew chapter 7, we'll pick it up in verse 13. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, notice what Jesus says. He says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You see, Jesus, what he's telling us here is the great majority of people, sadly, are going to take the wide gate. They're not going to take the narrow gate. What I'm about to share with you breaks my heart in a way where it's it's hard to put words around it, but I'll just share it. When it comes to the Bible, I've discovered that most people are not looking for truth. Did you know that? When it comes to church shopping, quote unquote, most people are not looking for truth. They're looking for entertainment. What most people are looking for when it comes to religion is they want a smooth, comfortable, easy religion that says you can eat what you want to eat, you can live how you want to live, you can do whatever you want to do and still be guaranteed eternal life in the end. Did you know that? But friends, there is no true religion that teaches that. In fact, the Bible says that every single day we must take up the what? Cross. Take up the cross. The cross was a a, a symbol of death. That means every day we have to say, Lord, I want to die to self and surrender my life over to Jesus Christ. Amen. And the sad fact is, most people aren't looking, but there are some who are. In fact, if you have your Bible, go with me to Acts chapter 18. Go with me to Acts chapter 18. There is a story in Acts 18 that I absolutely love. I wish we had more time to spend on it, but I'm going to look at it real quickly here. Acts chapter 18. Now, some folks will come, as you go to Acts 18, some folks come and say, well, you know what, Tyler, I've got a friend or an uncle or a pastor, and they've got a Ph.D., and they say something different than what you've been saying. They believe and teach something different than Pastor Mark, than Pastor Colette, and they've got a Ph.D. You know what I tell them? Every church has their Ph.D.s, and they all contradict each other. Did you know that? Go back 2,000 years ago, all the PhDs 2,000 years ago were absolutely dead wrong when it came to understanding who Jesus was, yes or no? Now, nothing wrong with having an education. It's good to have an education, but we never want to allow our education to trip us up from having a sincere, honest, open heart and mind that says, Lord, what is your will? What does your Bible have to say? And so in here in Acts chapter 18, we read about a guy named Apollos. Go to verse 24. Acts chapter 18 and verse 24, the Bible says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. Now that was a good place. If you were Jewish from Alexandria, this was a good place to be from. An eloquent man, notice this guy's resume. An eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, And being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So look at this guy, Apollos, this Jewish guy from Alexandria. It says he was an eloquent man. He was teaching the Word of God. It says that he was mighty in the Scriptures. That's a pretty good resume to have about you in the Bible, wouldn't you agree? But notice what it says in verse 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more what? Perfectly. In other words, this guy was educated. He was teaching in the synagogues. He was eloquent, mighty in scriptures. He was Jewish. He was from Alexandria. I mean, this guy was like the Ph.D. in the book of Acts. He was teaching, and Aquila and Priscilla heard him. He only understood the baptism of John, and what did they do? They pulled him aside, and they gave him a deeper education on God's Word. Not only that, but he did not allow his Ph.D. to be a stumbling block. He did not allow his past experience to be a stumbling block. He did not allow his former theology of his former church to be a stumbling block. Apollos was open to hearing and receiving new light. Amen? And yet many folks come to me and say, well, you know, I got an uncle. Or this isn't what my great-grandparents used to teach. My great-grandparents used to believe this or that. Hey, my great-grandparents used to use kerosene lamps and they had the bathroom outside. They were living up to what they had in their day. Amen? Amen? But I believe as we get closer and closer to the coming of Jesus, God wants to reveal more light and more truth to each and every one of us. Do you believe that? The question this morning is, are we going to follow it? Or are we going to dig in our heels and say, Nope, I'm good where I am and no one's going to persuade me otherwise. I mean, why would we have such a stubborn, hard heart as that? But I meet people all the time that dig their heels in. Can I tell you a little secret this morning? You know what the devil's favorite word is? He's got a word that he loves, and he uses this word on all of us. His favorite word. It's tomorrow. Did you know that? It's tomorrow. He'll tell you, yeah, you know what? You should begin to um, uh, honor God's Sabbath day on Saturday, but don't do it now. Do it tomorrow. Yeah, those cigarettes that are killing you, you ought to give up those cigarettes, but don't do it today. Do it tomorrow. Yeah, that alcohol that's, that's, that, that's destroying your health and your mind, you ought to give that up. But don't do it today, do it when? Tomorrow. That decision you've made on that card that you want to be baptized, don't do that today, do it tomorrow. Because what happens is tomorrow turns into weeks, and weeks turn into months, and months turn into years, and pretty soon, friends, there are no more tomorrows. Did you know that? He loves that word tomorrow. I used to do that. I used to think, one of these days I'll get my life right with God. Maybe when I get out of the military. Or, or maybe when I graduate college. Or maybe when I get married. Or maybe when I, I had all these like little mile markers set down in my life thinking, one of these days I'll get serious. Why wait till tomorrow? Why not now? I've met folks who have had such conviction that they need to be baptized and be a part of the church. And they put it off, and they put it off, and they put it off, and they put it off to the point where, you know what? They lose that conviction, and they never get baptized. That's a horrible thing to do, friends. Never put off what you ought to do now for some date in the future. You know, if I could go back in time, and I could hear a sermon, there's a few sermons I'd love to hear, The three sermons I would love to hear in order is I'd love to hear the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety, wouldn't you? We have what's written there in the Gospel of Matthew, but to actually hear it. I'd also love to hear the Bible study that Jesus gave to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Wouldn't you love to have that Bible study? The Bible says he went back to all the prophets. I mean, he went back to the book of Obadiah, and Jesus pulled something out about himself. He went to Haggai, pulled something out. I mean, I would love to have that. But there's another sermon I would love to hear. I would love to hear the very last sermon Noah gave before he got into the Ark. What about you? The guy preached for 120 years. It's coming. There were folks that probably helped him build the ark, but when it came time to get on, they didn't get on it. Imagine that last sermon. I mean, the last board is in place, the last nail is there. The animals have got onto the ark, they've sealed the outside. Everything is ready. And I picture in my mind's eye this old man Noah standing there. One final appeal. You've got to get on the ark. It's coming. It's coming. And as the crowd kind of gathers in around him, this kind of strange feeling begins to settle in on them. In my mind, I picture like a woman. Break forth out of the crowd and she begins to walk towards Noah because she's going to get on the ark. And as she breaks out and she's moving forward, somebody reaches out and they grab her by the jacket or her coat or whatever she had and they pull her back and they say, You don't want to do that. I imagine this young kid sensing the conviction that he's got to get on that ark of safety. He begins to go forward and maybe a parent reaches out, a sibling, a friend. Can you imagine in the day of judgment knowing? that we were responsible for holding somebody back. What a dangerous place to be in. Noah does one final turnaround, one final appeal, get on the ark. And including Noah, there were only eight souls on that ark. And the Bible says as the door closed, here's what's incredible. That door closed, but it did not rain right away. Did you know that? Like a week went by, and there was no rain whatsoever. Put yourself in Noah's shoes. You've been preaching this thing for 120 years. You get on the ark, you've seen miracles. I mean, all these animals come on, you've seen things happen. And for like seven days, you're on this wooden ship cooped up in the zoo. And you know, just knowing human nature, there are people on the outside, and they're probably yelling things at Noah, wouldn't you agree? Hey, Noah, what are you doing in there, man? It's nice out. In fact, the, the, the economy has grown at more than 3%, right? Things are going good. The housing market's come back, right? Things are going good. Unemployment's down. Hey, look, man, just come out, Noah. You know, yeah, we're going to laugh at you for a little bit, but look at this really cool house you built for yourself, you know? Got the biggest house on the block. Imagine those seven days. Noah could not trust his feelings, because I bet you every feeling inside of him, if he was like me, would say, what have I done? I've lost my mind. But Noah had to live by faith. He didn't have the written word. He had the actual word of God coming to him. And Noah had to believe God's word the same way today. No matter how we feel, we have to believe and trust God's word. Amen? And pretty soon a fork of lightning shot across the sky and water from the deep came up and water came down. But by this time, it was too late. And Noah and his family trusted God, put their faith upon the Word of God, and they were saved, no matter what was happening around them. I think of the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, this guy knew what he needed. I mean, he ran to Jesus, and he asks Jesus the most important question, what must I do to be saved? This is what I believe one of the most important questions, if not the most important question you can ask. What must I do to be saved? Jesus lays out to this young guy the plan of salvation. And the Bible says that he walked away sorrowful. But what stands out in my mind is that Jesus didn't run after him. He didn't run after him and say, okay, you know, maybe I was a little rough with that. Here's plan B. Jesus does not compromise the road to salvation. Did you know that? Jesus said, this is how you can be saved He didn't negotiate, he didn't compromise, he did not lower his standards. He shared with this young man, here's what you've got to do to be saved. And sadly, this young man walked away from Christ. What about you this morning, friends? If you have sensed God speaking to your heart the past few weeks, I know some of you had, because as Pastor Mark and I look over the decision cards, We see wonderful decisions have been made. We've seen people check that they want to be baptized. But something's holding them back from going forward. We've had people check and say, I want to honor God's Sabbath day. But maybe something's holding them back from moving forward. Friends, let me tell you, this world has absolutely nothing to offer us that is more important than what Jesus has already given us. And my question to you this morning Are you willing to trust and stand on God's word? You see, people commit that unpardonable sin by rejecting the word of God and by rejecting God's spirit as he convicts us of sin in our life. Are you willing to stand upon God's uncompromised word and allow the Holy Spirit to guide and lead you into all truth? Is that your decision this morning, friends? If it is, I've got a card. Our ushers are going to pass out a card this morning. This is the last card I'll be passing out during the seminar. And I thought, you know what? I want to do it Saturday morning. Because, you know, I love you. And some of you folks, for whatever reason, haven't been able to come out in the evenings. And I want to give you an opportunity as well this morning to say, Lord, I want my life right with you. So what they're going to do, the ushers are going to hand you a stack of cards. You may receive more cards than you actually need in your row. If that's the case, that's okay. You don't got to fill it all, every card. This, this, we'll keep passing the cards out. Let's keep, let's keep doing this. We'll keep passing the cards out here. And when you get that card, there should be a pencil or some kind of writing apparatus in the pew in front of you. Um, if there's not, if you raise your hand, we'll make sure we get you a pen or a pencil, or maybe you can borrow one from the person next to you. But as you take this card in your hand, I'm going to ask each and every one of you here this morning to do two things. Number one, to be praying. To be praying for yourself, but to be praying for the person next to you as well. That God would speak to your hearts. Number one, this is my response to Jesus. Hey, let's make sure we also get the balcony too. Let's make sure we get folks up in the balcony, sitting out in the hallway. If there's anybody in the mother's room, I want everybody to have this opportunity. Number one, number one says, I see it is very important to Jesus for me to belong to his body, the church. Do you believe that? You know, the reason I go to church, the reason I go to this church, as we talked about last night, is I want to be in the best vehicle possible to help get me ready for the second coming. Amen? And that's why I'm here. I want to be in the best vehicle, the best chances, odds possible to help prepare me for eternal life. And that's why I go to church here. Number two says, I want to commit my life completely to Christ and be baptized, becoming a part of this Sabbath-keeping fellowship. If you've already marked baptized, that you want to be baptized, go ahead and mark it again. If you're not a member here and maybe you've been sensing in your life that you want to be baptized and you'd like to be part of a Sabbath-keeping church, go ahead and check number two. Number three says, I want my membership transferred into this Sabbath-keeping fellowship. I have previously been baptized by immersion. If you've already been baptized by immersion, but you want to be a part of this wonderful church here in Squim, this Sabbath-keeping church where you're going to be fed spiritually, you're going to be fed physically, because i got good food here, you're going to have a great pastoral staff and leadership, and you want to be a part of this church family, go ahead and check number three. Number four says, I feel my spiritual relationship with Christ has become weak. My heart is reawakened to Jesus' love, and it is my desire to be baptized again, beginning a new start and a connection with Him. This is for those who have already been baptized, but you know, God's been speaking to your heart. And maybe he's been tugging on your heart saying, you know what, it's time to make, it's time to make a recommitment. It's time to make a rededication to Jesus. You may already be a member here, maybe you're not, but you want to make a recommitment to Christ. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and check number four. Has everybody received a card? You guys are all good up there? Jay, we're good up top? All right, I got people waving, fantastic. Fantastic. If you could be so kind to make sure you write your name on this card, because we pray about these. We pray over these cards. If you could put your name on this card, that would be fantastic, because what happens is sometimes I will get a card back, you know, sent back in, and it's got a wonderful decision, but I have no idea who the person is, and we want to pray over these cards. We want to pray over you because we love you, because we want each and every one of you to grow in a deeper commitment and connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to invite you now, our ushers, they're going to begin to pass the cards in, and we've got some buckets, so if you would just simply, and you can even take your card if you want to, and fold it in half. You can fold it in half. You don't have to let everybody around you know what you're thinking, but if we could begin to collect these cards and as we collect these cards, we also want to collect the ones up top as well, guys. As we collect these cards, I'm going to invite our musicians, our singers, to come on up. We've got a closing song that we're going to be singing, and it's hymn number 330. Clear, yes or no? Yes. Make sense? Aren't you thankful that we serve such a loving God that He never gives up on us? I read stories in the Bible about Nebuchadnezzar and and about other, these just wild, evil kings, and God never gives up. He keeps working and working and working and working, and He'll never give up on you. But we need to be willing to open our hearts to the leading of God's Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we close our eyes and we bow our heads this morning, Lord, we need more of your Spirit. In fact, we need an extra measure of your Holy Spirit in our lives. This world is a challenging place to navigate, and we need to be led by both your word and your spirit. We're grateful this morning that what the Holy Spirit speaks to us will never go against your word. But in fact, your Holy Spirit will guide and lead us back to your word. Convict our hearts this morning, God. If there's something in our lives that is keeping us from you, convict us, Lord. Help us to surrender that at the feet of the cross. Lord, also I pray that you would uh, reveal to us what truth is. We want to know truth because the more truth we have, the the more we're able to see the beautiful picture and the character of your son Jesus. Lord, be with us today. Help us to enjoy this Sabbath day, to to feel a blessing, to, to feel encouraged that your love will be with us everywhere we go. Keep us safe now as we dismiss, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, just a quick reminder, guys, tonight, 6.30, come